following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. Brother Sam is going to lay out for you next week during the evangelism training. Uh, he's kind of revamped all of his training since I was with him last on that part of it. But I'll just give you uh, one little step that I use sometimes uh, when I'm wanting to share my faith with someone, when I'm wanting to tell them about the Lord or maybe brighten their day up a little bit. Normally I'll find someone that looks like they're down and out. Something's happened to them. They're not having a good day. And I just look them square in the eye and say, hey, would you like to hear some good news? And of course, everybody wants to hear good news, especially these days. But here's the thing about the good news. The good news isn't really the good news until you know what the bad news is. And hearing about the bad news makes the good news the best news of all. And that's where we're at in the story of Ruth. Everything that we have covered so far in chapter 1 is all bad news. Famine, death, they're resorted to begging, two widows out on their own. One of Naomi's daughter-in-laws has to separate. Ruth decides to stay with her. They didn't want to part, but they had to. They thought it was best for the situation. So as we talked about when we discussed the introduction of the book of Ruth, four chapters, it probably was originally written as one continuous book. But the way our canon is laid out, it's laid out in four distinct chapters, which are four distinct scenes that you would look at in a play. Scene number one, tragedy, (laughs) famine, bad news. Scene number two that we get into a little more in depth tonight, we start seeing a little glimmer of hope. And so as we think about the good news and what we're to be doing, what will you be doing when Christ returns? If if we truly believe that the gospel is good news, and that's literally what the translation of the word gospel means. It means good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it literally means good news. That's where we get our word evangelism from. And, And so... The hope that we have as Christians, the best news of all is, no matter how bad this life is, one of these days, Jesus is going to be coming back. He's going to return. That's the best news that we have to cling to. That is the blessed hope that we can hold on to. And that's the best news that we can tell other people. You know what? What you're going through now, if you only put your faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will have the blessed hope that one of these days, when he comes back, he'll identify you as his very own. And so that's where we're at tonight. Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown, where she grew up at. Everybody recognized her. By coincidence, it also happens to be the place where a field is owned by our hero by the name of Boaz. Scene number two, Boaz now steps onto the scene. While the book is called the book of Ruth, technically Ruth is not the heroine of the story. Uh, Boaz is the one who is the provider. He's the one that comes in and saves the day. But since Ruth is mentioned in all of the chapters... She is the main character. Therefore, the book is called the book of Ruth. So the question I want you 
to ask yourself tonight is what will you be doing when Jesus returns? What will you be found doing when Jesus returns? Hopefully the response that he will have when you stand before him is the very response that's printed on the front of the bulletins today. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the best news of all is that one of these days, if we are found faithful when Jesus returns and we stand before him, that he'll look at our life, what we were doing, what we spent our time doing, what we were really focused on. He'll say, you know what? Well done. What you did here on this earth by serving me with your spiritual gifts, by sharing your faith with others and being faithful throughout your life. No, your your life was not perfect. He knows that. He doesn't expect for you to be perfect. He just expects you to be clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if if we think we've got to be perfect to earn God's favor, then it's not of grace. By grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Salvation is no longer a gift if we think our life has earned it or deserved it. And that's basically the plot that we see here opening up in scene 2 or chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles tonight, we're in Ruth chapter 2, verses 3 through 10 is what we're going to cover tonight. Five different points. And some questions I want to ask you. Number one, I want to ask you, are you in the right field? Now, it's obvious that today there are some people that are way out in left field. (laughs) They can't make heads or tails of anything. They're headed in the wrong direction. They're in the wrong place. But I'm not talking about a position in baseball. As we look and see here, Naomi, uh, Ruth, just so happens to find herself in the right place at the right time, meeting the right people. If you understand anything about God's providence, you know that it didn't just happen. So what is God doing here? God is basically setting up the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ by pushing Ruth and Naomi back to Bethlehem and pushing Ruth to go gleaning in these fields. And all of a sudden, she's out in the field, and she ends up in the part of a field, one specific section that belongs to our hero, Boaz. In verse 3, it says, uh, Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Eliminate. So Ruth went in search of food for survival for her and her mother-in-law. She was looking for a way out of the situation that they were in. And what she needed was a new life. The life that she is in right now is nothing but gloom, despair, and agony on me. She needs a little glimmer of hope. She needs a new life. Let me ask you this, are, are you looking for new life? Are you looking for that little glimmer of hope? Are you looking for answers to life's questions? Are you looking for for the uh, situation that you're currently in? Lord, why, why did this happen to me? Why, why do I have to resort to begging in this field? Are you looking for a new path because the one you're on right now is leading to nowhere? You have seemingly no purpose in life. 
You don't know why you're here. You don't know why this has happened. However, Ruth had no hope in the situation that she was in. However, she happened to come to the part of the field of Boaz. And that word happened in the original language means a incident, a chance, or fate. It just happened that she was in the right place, doing the right thing, looking for new life at just the right time. Imagine that. You don't believe in accidents or coincidence, do you? <laughs> if you're a Christian, if you are a true believer, if you believe that your hand, uh, your life is literally in the hands of God, then you believe that his hand is guiding you to each and every place, each and every time by divine providence for a specific reason, for a specific purpose. You don't understand it now, but one of these days you'll look back and you'll say, now I see why God led me in that direction. And so what's about to happen to Ruth, she, she never expected everything that is about to take place. Number one, the, the process of gleaning, the principle of gleaning was set up for people who couldn't provide for themselves. It was set up for foreigners to come into a land. They couldn't own property. They couldn't own their own fields. So the people of Israel would intentionally leave grain, barley, or whatever the harvest was. Sometimes it was grapes. They would leave just enough or they would leave the corners of the field for these outsiders to come in and survive. They couldn't earn it. They couldn't deserve it. They were literally taking a blessing from someone else that God had told them to leave for the outsiders. No one forced Ruth to go into that part of the field. She went under her own will, seeking that in which she could not obtain in any other way. So let me ask you this. Whose field are you in right now? What position do you find yourself in? Has God pushed you in a direction that you don't understand? You don't know what's going on? Or do you just happen to be in the right place at the right time to receive a divine blessing from the Lord? I heard a lady just this morning say, you know, I, I just so happened to find out about this servant. I just so happened to come in and I just so happened to hear a message that was pointed directly at me. No, it wasn't accident or coincidence. That was God bringing you to the right place at the right time. She was in the right field to be able to glean what she needed at the time. The next question I want to ask you is this. Who are you laboring for? We see that Ruth is not in the field by herself. There are workers in the field. Verse 4 says, Now behold... Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. When's the last time you said that to your boss? <laughs> When's the last time he's greeted you like that? Usually doesn't happen in a work environment, does it? <laughs> That's usually not words that you hear. But I think that what you hear Boaz and his workers discussing there, the way they greet each other, reflects a lot of the characteristic and the type of person that Boaz is. But the question I want to ask you is this, who are you laboring for? There was no doubt 
in Boaz's mind who those were because he talked directly to those reapers. I love this introduction introduction of Boaz. Behold, there he is. The hero of the story. I told Marcy, I said, that's how I'm going to start coming home. I'm going to get out of my white truck. I'm going to walk through the door. Behold, your hero is home from work. (laughs) But I think this is a really good transition to make from the bad scene of Act 1 in 2 chapter 2 when the hero of the scene arrives. Now, we've we've discussed many different parallels of uh, biblical characters like Boaz to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in essence, Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ here as the kinsman redeemer. When we looked at the life of Joseph, we looked at many different parallels of Joseph and the things that happened to him. We paralleled his life in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I got to thinking about that. There were two things that happened the day that I began laying this sermon out. I'm going to share them with you at the end of the sermon. But as I began thinking about that, as I I looked at that statement there, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Did he arrive unexpected? Did he have a set time that he came every day checking on his workers? Or did he come at a surprising time to see whether they'd be kicked back under the shade tree resting or actually working in the field? The knight in shining armor, no doubt about it. Boaz creates a Christological parallel here. So if we are to believe that Boaz is a parallel of our Lord Jesus Christ, can we also say that what is taking place here is a picture of the return of Jesus Christ and the rapture? Because that's exactly what Jesus is going to be doing when he returns. He's going to be looking to see what we're doing. Are we laboring for him in the field that he's planted us in when he returns? So that's what led me to that question on point number two. Who are you laboring for? When our Redeemer steps onto the scene again, what will he find us doing? And then this all led me because of that one statement, behold. Think of how many times that is used in the scriptures. Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and his name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. John chapter 1, verse 29, When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, John the Baptist was baptizing in the river Jordan, and he saw Jesus off in the distance. You remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Revelations chapter 1 verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming in clouds of glory, and every eye shall see him. And when John writes a letter to the church of Laodicea, when Jesus addresses the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church, in which Jesus said he would eventually spew them out of his mouth, here's what he said to that church. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What was he saying? He says, you've become so lukewarm that you've pushed me to the outside of your church and now I'm having to knock to get inside of your church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. So there's also another parallel to 
laborers out in the field. Jesus tells the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25. He said there was three servants that a master gave money to. He entrusted them with talents, a, a level of currency back in that day. He said to one servant he gave five talents, to another servant he gave two talents, to another servant he gave one talent. He went away for a little while, then he came back to see what they had done with what he had entrusted them with. So the one that he gave five talents to had invested it and doubled the money. The other one he gave two talents to did the same thing. He invested it, doubled his money. But the one he gave one talent to said, I was afraid I was going to lose it. I didn't want to invest it because it was the only one that you gave me. So I buried it in the field. I did absolutely nothing with it. He said, that was a wicked and slothful servant. So who are you laboring for? What are you investing in? In this exchange between Boaz and the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants, who is in charge of the reapers? Whose young woman is this? And so that leads me to my third question. Are you easily identifiable? In other words, when Jesus does come back, Will he find you laboring in the fields and will it be easy for him to say, that's one of my servants right there. Well done, good and faithful servant. Boaz knew who the servants were and he even gave specific orders to some of them. But Ruth, he did not know yet. He had heard of Ruth. We'll see that in verse 11, but he couldn't identify her. He knew that she was a Moabite. They dressed different. They looked different. Their culture was totally different. So she probably had a little bit different look to her. But I think there was something else about Ruth. There was something strikingly beautiful about her that drew Boaz's attention. But he did not yet know who she was. <clears throat> he had to ask someone else who she was. He had heard of her, but they had not yet acquainted themselves. So here's the thing that I got to thinking about on that. There are many people today who say that they know God. They know of God. There are many people you'll talk to today that say they know Jesus or they know of Jesus. But they have not yet acquainted themselves with him. There are many people that when you ask them... Whether or not they know who Jesus is, they'll answer you with a resounding yes. Yes, I know of Jesus, but I don't know him personally. I don't have that personal relationship with him. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. He says, many will come to me on that day. I said, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did great things in your name. You remember what Jesus' response to them was? He said, I'm going to say to them, depart from me because I never knew you. In other words, they didn't take the time to have that intimate, close relationship with him. All they knew was work, 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 work. They didn't know how to take time to get to know the Lord, his characteristics, his qualities, his attributes. But are you easily identifiable? Are your colors true? 
Is there no doubt to anyone around you that you are a child of God? You are a Christian by the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you act, the way you think, the way you treat each other, the way you invest your money, the way you spend your time. Are you easily identifiable? No doubt whatsoever that you are a child of God. Because Boaz went straight up to his servants. He knew who they were. And we see by that exchange that they make. They were glad to see each other. There was no hesitation. Lord bless you. Lord be with you. Man, he's a good boss. Lord bless, bless you for allowing us to work for you. We're happy to work in your fields. We're happy to labor for you. They knew each other on an intimate level. It was more than just a working relationship. But he goes to ask. He said, there's just one person that I don't know. Whose young woman is this? He has yet to redeem her. He has yet to establish a relationship with her. And if you remember back in chapter 1, what did Ruth tell Naomi? Your God will be my God. She didn't say your God is my God. She didn't know that yet. So I think that's why Boaz is asking this question. He wants to know, who is this young woman and how can I get to know her? There's something about her that is attracting Boaz to her. So here's the next question I want to ask you. We're going to see this in verse 7. Are you easily identifiable? The only way that you can be identifiable, the only way that you can have that close, intimate, personal relationship is if you receive the free gift already. Have you asked for the free gift? Basically, that's what the principle of gleaning was. It was a free gift to those who really didn't deserve it and didn't earn it. Beginning in verse 6, the servant who was in charge of the, of the reapers answered and said, It is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Ruth's, Ruth's response to her, this is her request, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from working until now, though she rested a little in the house. She not only received what she needed through the allowance of gleaning, but also through the protective orders of Boaz. We're going to see in just a minute that Boaz gave specific orders. Remember, this is a dark time when men were doing everything that they wanted to do. They were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't even try to conceal it. It was open, kind of like men do these days today. But Boaz not only allowed her to get what she needed out of the field, he gave her the protection that she needed during that time. Can you imagine the great comfort that Ruth had through hearing that she could not only receive the grain that she needed, not only could she get the sustenance that she needed to continue on in life, but she could glean in complete confidence that no Harm would come to you. Is God your protector as well? Have you received the free gift of his provision? Not only of salvation. Not only of what you need for eternal life. But have you received the free gift of his protection as well? Do you know that he's your redeemer and your protector and your provider? Does the thought of Jesus returning... Bring you great comfort. 
I wonder what the servants were thinking while they were in the field reaping the harvest. Man, we better get busy. Uh, boss man is coming back at any time now. I, I don't want to be the one that gets caught sloughing off. I don't want to get be the one that gets caught taking a break when I should have been working. So I'm going to do my very best. Whereas Ruth, she had no idea who the owner of the field was. She didn't know when he would be back. She didn't know what kind of a boss man he was. All she knew was she was looking to find something she couldn't find anywhere else. She was looking for that one glimmer of hope. She was looking for a free gift of food for her and her mother-in-law to continue on in their life. When he returns, does the thought of Jesus returning bring you great comfort? Are you ready for that? Are you anxious for that? Are you, or are you worried that your life is not in line with where it needs to be right now for his return? Or do you feel like there's maybe a certain degree of tension at the thought that he may appear at any moment now? You're either in one of two places. Either you're at peace with it or you're living in great fear. You can settle that tonight by receiving the free gift. God, I know I don't earn it. I know I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I know it's something that you can only provide. I I want that protection. I want that comfort. I want that assurance of knowing that when you come back, that you'll be able to easily identify me by the life that I'm living for you. And you should be easy to identify because you should be looking more and more like Jesus each and every day. So there's no need for us to glean. There's no need for us to beg. All we have to do is simply ask God, give me that gift of eternal life. I believe that you are the bread of life that satisfies my hunger. I believe that you are the living water. We see here in just a moment. Not only does Boaz provide her with comfort, but he allows her to drink the water that the servants had drawn that day. Not only did he want to satisfy her hunger, not only did he want to provide her with protection, but he also wanted to make sure that she had enough water to drink. Next question I want to ask as we move along through this. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here. In other words, you have found the right place to obtain what you've been looking for. You are in the right place to receive exactly what you need. And I'm going to protect you as long as you will stay right here. Don't venture out anywhere else. Don't go into another field. You stay right here in my field, in my presence, in my protection. And I'm going to make sure that you'll get the hope that you're looking for. Stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? So here we see scripturally the first case of someone protecting 
a worker from sexual harassment. He's protecting her. He said, look, I, I don't want them uh, doing anything provocative to you. I don't want them harming you. I don't want them approaching you, touching you, or doing anything that would cause a scene. I've commanded them, stay away from you. I want them to be focused on their work. I've commanded the young men not to touch you. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. This is completely opposite of what the custom was of that day. The custom that day was for the aliens, for the foreigners to draw water for the Israelites to drink out of, not for the Israelites to draw water for them. So Boaz, you see, is turning everything around in Ruth's situation. I'm going to let you glean, and I'm going to tell them to leave a little bit of extra. I'm going to protect you from any further harm coming along. I want you to stay right here. I want you to drink the water that my servants have drawn. I want to provide you with everything that you need. Under one condition. Here's a question, the last question that I have for you tonight. Have you bowed down before the Lord? And received his gift of grace. Have you thanked him. By bowing down and calling him Lord. Master. I'm now your servant. I readily accept everything that you have just offered to me. After Boaz makes these statements. Don't go anywhere. My men will protect you. Eat all you want. Get all the water you want. Here was Ruth's response. And this leads me to the first thing that happened to me the morning that I prepared this message or began preparing this message. So she fell down on her face, bowed down to the ground and said to him, and this is something we should ask ourselves every single day. (laughs) Why have I found favor in your eyes? God, why do I deserve For your son to die in my place. Why has your grace fallen upon someone like me? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And it was at this point that Ruth understood that she was unworthy of what Boaz was providing And she made it an effort to express her gratitude and fully accept what she did not deserve and could not earn on her own. So the morning I got up and started preparing this message, I spent a little time just laying there in bed, praying to the Lord. And I I asked him this very same thing myself. God, you know, why have you given me everything that I have? Why have you blessed my life? The way that I have. I'm I'm not a perfect man. I've made many mistakes. I've often denied even knowing you. I've often intentionally not told someone else about your love and your mercy and your grace. Yet you still love me the way that you do. I don't deserve it. It, it, I, I shouldn't be receiving what you've given to me. And as a Christian... As a child of God, thank God gives us so much 
we fully understand. I, I think it gives us so much more than we actually realize. And if you'll think about what's going on with Ruth right here, she's on the basic necessities for her life, not knowing what's about to unfold as her relationship with Boaz begins to develop. And in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, when you bow down and when you call him Lord and receive the free gift of everlasting life that only he can provide, that's only the beginning of the fullness of the blessings that he wants to pour out upon you. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. And Boaz is about to do exceedingly abundantly more than Ruth could ever imagine. She has no husband. She has no, her family still exists, but she's not with her family. She's in a foreign land. And yet she's about to be incorporated into the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it all started by bowing down and saying, why have I found favor in your eyes? I don't deserve this. That's one thing that happened to me on that morning. God, God opened my eyes to that. God spoke to me during that prayer time. And as I prayed that prayer that morning, this, this verse really, really popped out of me, verse 10 especially. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Why have I been the recipient of this grace that you want to give me? The second thing that happened is later on that morning, I was sitting in my office. I was right through it, and it began paralleling with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I began thinking about some of the events that would happen. He'd split the eastern sky. There'd be a shout from heaven. And off in the distance, I think it was around Railroad Avenue, guess what? Somebody laid on the horn of an engine. <laughs> I said, oh, there it is right now. I'm preparing for the second coming, and there's a, no, that was just a train. But those are two distinct events that I remember happening this morning. It could happen just like that, friends. What we could be asking ourselves that very same question, Lord, why have I received? And then here he comes. Behold, in a moment, in a twinkling of eye. So I'm not sure what your eschatological views are. I don't know. When you think the tribulation is going to actually begin, I don't know when you think the rapture is going to actually occur. But I, I think there's some evidence here as to when it may occur. You, you may be a pre-trib view. You may think that the rapture is going to happen prior to the tribulation. You may think that it's going to happen in the middle. You may think it's going to happen afterward. You may be a pre-millennious, all-millennious, post-millennial. I don't know what your view is. But this passage, I think, makes a very, very strong case that we may see some bad times prior to the rapture taking place. R Ruth has seen some bad times, but think of everything that she is now protected from. She's protected from the situation getting any worse. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Not great tribulation, but you'll have some troubled times in this world. And could it be that what's going on right now? Eggs, $8 a dozen. You know what one of the things the book of Revelation says is going to happen? Bread. 
cost a whole denarius, a whole day's wage. Barley, three quarts of barley, a whole day's wage. The price of groceries is going to go astronomical. God didn't say he would spare us from all of that. He just said he'd give us the grace and the strength to get through it. Ruth experienced some difficulties. She, she did have her own tribulations that she went through, but I think she is spared from the worst. And now the time when her Redeemer appears, that things begin to get better. And she's spared from the absolute worst taking place. If that lets you know any about my view of when the tribulation and the rapture is going to take place. But she did not experience the worst that could have happened to her because of the arrival at her redeemer, of her Redeemer at just the right time. Her hope had been found. Now, um, let's close out with the book of Titus chapter 2. There's one verse I want you to look at that kind of relates to that. One of these days he will return. That is the blessed hope that we cling to. And if they, if we think that we have to go through the great tribulation, there's not a whole lot of hope in that. And just like Boaz, Boaz protected someone that he gave favor and grace to from the worst that could possibly happen to her. Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Exactly what just happened to Ruth. She received the grace of Boaz. Her salvation is just beginning to start. Her salvation has appeared. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, if you think that you have to go through any of the tribulation, there is no hope in that. There is no blessed hope. That's nothing to look forward to. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. It's exactly what Boaz protected Ruth from, the lawless deeds that those young men could have committed on her. And purify for himself his own special people. Some translations say peculiar people, zealous for good works. What are you working for? Who are you laboring for? What motivates your good works and your good deeds? Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. So when he returns, what will you be found doing? Sitting around, idly waiting, just letting the time pass by, just trying to buy a little time until that happens? Are you laboring in a a way that you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? Are you investing your time, your effort, your gifts into growing his kingdom? Are you reaching the lost? Are you making disciples? Or are you saying, I want to learn more about evangelism and how to share my faith in a one-on-one setting? 
Am I wanting to learn how to write out my testimony and let someone know about how good? I want to give them evidence of just how good God is. And I want to show them in my life what he's done for me. But I also want to show them how good he can be to them as well. I want to show them that there is a blessed hope that we can look forward to. I want to, I want to show them that God is my redeemer, my provider, my protector. And I can use stories just like the book of Ruth to paint that picture for them. Every head bowed and every eye closes. Uh, Miss Nancy comes to the piano. We're going to have one closing song of invitation. I want to give you an opportunity to, once again, pray for revival. But I also want to give you an opportunity that if you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior and Redeemer, if you've never accepted that free gift of eternal life, I want to give you that opportunity. It, it would be a crime. It would be a tragedy uh, for me to present a message of salvation like you heard tonight and not give you an opportunity to respond to it. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never bowed down to Him, if the thought of Him returning right now and you not being ready petrifies you, there's no reason to go on through life like that. You can settle that tonight. You can leave out those doors with the assurance of knowing where you'll spend eternity. And then if Jesus Christ were to come back tonight, he could easily identify you as a child of God. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.